on this Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to start a brand new series called Irrefutable. It's called Irrefutable because I'm going to go through uh, several subjects with you over the course of the next few weeks um, uh, that I see in Scripture that are principles that God has placed that are irrefutable. And they just can't argue them. They're just there. And these are things that we, we must adhere to and believe. The Bible says in Psalms 11, verse 3, it says, if the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? So what I want to do is, as the Bible says, line upon line, precept upon precept, I want to begin to build and establish some things with you today um, that I believe are going to help you for the rest of your life, whether you've been a Christian for 35 years, 50 years, or for 35 minutes. I believe with all my heart, these are things, when I start studying these things again, my faith begins to kick up because it's just truth. It's just truth that we need to hear again and again, but there's some new things. I believe there's things you probably have not heard, but I believe it's super exciting to begin to build upon our foundation. So today, we're going to start off by talking about my favorite subject, and that is Jesus. So I say, man, I love him so much. I love Jesus. I know you do. And um, most of you weren't born a Christian. I would say probably all of you were not born a Christian in the, in the classic sense of the word of being born again. You may have been born in a Christian household. You've had advantages that maybe some didn't. Uh, well, that's concerned, but you, you, you had to become to a place, come to the age of accountability where you got saved. And um, I wasn't raised initially in a Christian home up until the age of seven, and um, it was a, going right on its way to divorce. So it was a broken home. Um, and, uh, but God got a hold of my parents during that time when they were separated. They both got saved. They both got filled with the Holy Spirit. Their life was completely uh, taken over by Jesus. My dad drank his last drink of alcohol, never had another drink ever since, um, uh, and he was an alcoholic. I mean, God got a hold of us, and he was real. He was real. And I thank God for my parents that lived um, their life before the Lord. Not perfect, but they were, they were real about him. And they shared that with us. And, of course, the weekend after my dad got saved, I, I saw how real he was. And I gave my life as a little boy to Jesus at seven years of age. Got filled with the Holy Ghost not too many months after that when I was a little kid, about seven, about eight years of age at that point. And um, I, I can tell you that, that I, I knew him. But when I came to my teenage years, as a lot of kids do sometimes, I walked away from God. And I knowingly walked away from God because I knew him. I knew his power. I knew I had a personal relationship with him. Um, this was not a joke to me. He wasn't fantasy to me. He was real. But I wanted to live my life. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I walked away for, for a season from the Lord until I was 21 years of age. And when I was 20 uh, is when God began to c come to me again. And um, it's interesting. I shouldn't say again. He was definitely dealing with me. He, he'll never leave you, forsake you. He just won't. Um, but heavily, I mean heavily, dealing with me. My, my, my wife had gotten saved, and my mother became her prayer partner, and they made me their subject, and I, they were bombarding heaven and hell for Jeff, and my world was getting turned upside down. Don't you ever, ever think your prayer over your lost loved ones and family members are not effective. They are highly effective. And my world was, I didn't know what they were doing, but I knew that something was going on. And um, I will tell you this, that all my life, I've not, I can't stand a hypocrite. I don't like hypocrites. Um, when I was a kid, I would see a lot of hypocrites. And, um, and, you know, when you're a kid, you're judgmental too. But I knew, you know, you can't be partying like the devil all week long and then go to church and say hallelujah. Something ain't right there. Um, and so 
And so I, I, I didn't like that. And I, I just felt like if you're going to be in the world, live in the world. Don't try to say you're a Christian if you're not a Christian. You know, you're not worthy of that name. Don't say that, you know. So um, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. That's one thing I didn't want to be. And when God began to deal with me, I knew what was right, what was wrong. I knew that I had to come to him, but I didn't want to do it. And if I was going to do it, I was going to do it on my own terms, which is a terrible way to do things, by the way. And so, and so he was rocking my world because I wasn't coming in. But the truth of the matter is I was afraid because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. If I was going to give my life to Jesus this next time over, it was going to be forever and forever, and it was going to be all the way or not at all. I was not going to play a game. And um, so he came to me. I was at work, a little job shop in Rockford, Illinois, and um, I, it's, it's a loud shop, so you had to wear the little mufflers on your ears. And I was all by myself, small little, little shop. And the Spirit of God came to me, and he spoke to me, and I heard his voice as loud it was audible. Now, some of you might not say, well, what does that mean? All I can tell you is I heard him in my ear. That hasn't happened to me since, but I heard him in my ear. And he said to me, serve me now or you'll never serve me the rest of your life. And when he said that, it was like I had a vision and I saw myself at an impasse. And I saw it was a fork in the road and I could go to the left or to the right. And I knew to the left, if I went to the left, it would be my way, what I wanted. And I saw myself along that journey making one excuse after the other, saying, well, one day I'll come to you, God. <clears throat> after this age of my life, I'll come to you, God. After I get this thing, God, then I'll come to you. I kept seeing myself give one excuse after the other. And then I saw myself going to the right, the right side of the path, and I knew that was destiny. And I knew that God had something special for me, but not necessarily something I wanted, but something he wanted for me. And so I didn't know what to do with that. So I went into the bathroom. I locked myself in that little bathroom. And I said, God, I don't know what to say. I, I, I said, I can't just give you my life if I'm not going to really truly live it for you. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to live for you. I want to live for me. I want to do my own thing. I believe you can be honest with God. I just believe you can be honest with God. It's not like you don't know. Amen. So I was being honest. I said, look, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to fake this thing. And, but I don't want to go to hell. I, I was afraid of going to hell, but I was like, I don't want to. But, Lord, I, I, I guess I said, I'll just, I'll just pray this prayer, but I, I don't have to tell you. And, and I said, I'll give you 30 days. So I got on my knees, and I prayed the prayer, the sinner's prayer, you know, the one I heard so many times before. I got off the floor, and I didn't feel nothing. But after I got off the floor, I said, Lord, I'll give you 30 days. And after 30 days, I said, if, it, if, if, it don't, if you don't turn my heart, if you don't do something in my heart towards you, I guess I'm just not going to go to heaven. I don't know what to say. I can't fake it. It's got to be real. And so he honored that. And he spoke to me again. I heard him. He said, read my word and I'll show you how to praise my name. Well, that sounds elementary. It sounds something so simple, but it's what I heard. So I made him promise, I'm going to do it for 30 days. I'll read your, read, read your word. So I didn't have a Bible, but my wife had a, a little stash away Bible she grew up with, a little green Bible. And it was a little beat up, but I thought, I know where that Bible's at, so I got it. And I stuck it in a lunch bag, and I took it to work with me so nobody could see. Come on, somebody. And then I put it in my little locker, and I had it up in there. And, and so uh, at my breaks, I'd go into the bathroom, and I'd read a chapter or two. I'd read it. And I remember starting the Gospel of John and reading. Day one, I read it. Day two, I read it. Day three, I read it. Something happened on the third day. I don't want to explain it to you, but I'm reading about Jesus crossing Galilee. And I don't know how to say this except for the way it was for me. 
And when I read the word Jesus, it was like the word leapt up out of the pages and slapped me in my face. And up I began to uncontrollably begin to cry, went to my knees. As I did up out of my own spirit, I, I heard myself say these words, but I wasn't thinking. It came out of my, my own heart, and I said, this is the God I am serving. And I knew that when I said that, it was no longer Jeff Pruitt being the God of his life, but Jesus now is God of my life. Jesus is now Lord of my life. You can clap better than that. If you made him the Lord of your life, you can clap a whole lot better than that. Amen. And my life has never been the same. I had a supernatural encounter with the Almighty. Jesus was not just a mere man or a mere prophet or just another religious leader. Jesus is the eternal son of God. The very nature of God was embodied in him. Catch that. John 16, 28, Jesus said, I came forth from the father. Who did he come forth from? The father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the father. All the points of scripture said, I and the father are one. So Jesus proceeds from the father. He comes out from the father. God the Father loves us, and there are certain characteristics of that love that we find in God the Father, which we know is in God the Son, okay? Proverbs um, 3.12 says, from whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. How many knows that when you're, you're really loved, there's correction? How many knows that your parents said this is going to hurt you more than it's going to, oh, they used to say it's going to hurt me but they really should have said it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. And they would begin to give you a little guidance in life. How many of you ever got a little guidance from your folks in life? Praise God. Every, and I know that's in 2019. We don't give as much guidance as we used to give. But back in the day, we got lots of guidance, lots of guidance. Relatives gave us guidance. And there was never an issue. Sometimes a neighbor would give us guidance, and there still wasn't an issue. Sometimes... Sometimes, Tony points to his mother. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when, when somebody else in your family, like your cousin, needed a little guidance, your aunt would give you guidance too, praise God. Because I know if he was involved, I know you were involved too. Come on, somebody. Just a little guidance, praise God. And my mother used to guide me in syllables. How many got, how many got, how many got beat in syllables? Don't you ever, ever, never, ever. You know, they were so mad they couldn't think any words. Ever, never, ever, ever do that again. I mean, you know, that's how we got beat back in the old 70s. Amen. Well, God loves us, and he don't spank us like that, but in a spiritual sense, he will correct us because he loves us. Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. How about Revelation 3.19? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Man, so he chastens me. He's coming after me. He's correcting me. It's because he loves me until I what? Until I will repent. And so I told you all that to say this, that the same thing happened to me back in 1989. When, 88 was when he was dealing with me. He was chasing me in 88. He was correcting me in 88. 89, I finally said, Lord, I've had enough. Forgive me of my sin. And the rest is history. It wasn't because he disliked me. It's because he loved me and he loves you. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Through me. Remember, he said, I proceed from the Father. And I will go back and return to the Father. I and the Father are one. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus is making some really bold claims here. If you see me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. Jesus, without any doubt, is speaking of himself here. No other major prophet has ever made such an audacious claim as this, ever. Jesus makes it abundantly clear of who he is, which separates him from all other religious leaders. We can see this to be true by following uh, the attributes of God that are found in Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, God, then we must find the same characteristics in him, which would make him what? Deified. I'm talking for just a few more minutes that we have together about the deity of Jesus. That's what I want to point to you today. I want to go back to Bible basics with these irrefutable truths for the next few weeks to get you so grounded in your faith. You go, wow, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. Some of y'all have been raised in church and still don't know why you believe what you believe. And this is what we believe. Number one is this. The first characteristic is this. Jesus is just because the Father is just. Jesus is just, just like the Father. Psalms 33 verse 5 says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. God loves righteousness and justice. The first thing that we've got to settle in our hearts is that God is just and God is fair. I know it may seem like it's not sometimes because we live in an earthly plane. We live in the natural world, and we're not privy to all information. We see in part, we prophesy in part, and that's wonderful. But it only takes us so far. God is knowledge. God has knowledge of all things. And at the end of the day, we trust that everything he does is still just and it's fair. Someone says, well, what about calamities and, and famines? Are they just and fair? Well, unfortunately... We live in a fallen world. The earth is now under what we call a curse or the curse. And it wasn't because of God's doing. That was never God's best. It was because of man's decision to walk away from what God established and do it his way. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We have Adam and Eve, and they were perfect in all their ways, made like unto God himself to rule and to reign, have dominion over planet earth. That was their domain. God established that for them to rule the earth as he ruled the heavens, but under his authority under his guidance. You understand? And so they did that. We don't know how long they did that for, for church. It could have been for thousands and thousands of years. Of course, there was no time. It was all always eternity because time didn't come till the curse came. Now everything's subject to time. But we don't know how long. Uh, day in and day out for years and years. We don't know. But we know one day they made a decision to disobey what God said and to do it their way. And as a result of that, the first thing they did was, the Bible says, their eyes were open when they took and ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. It was God's tree in the midst of the garden. He said, you can have everything you want, but I establish me. I establish me in your midst. This is for me, not for you. That's how God will always give you free will. And so this is what you do. All you do is obey me. They chose to do it their way. They ate, their eyes were open. They saw their nakedness. Well, the truth was, they were naked before. 
They didn't have anything on before, but they, they, they were na- naked. They felt naked. Why? Because God, the presence of God, lifted off of them. When the curse comes because of disobedience, the first thing that's removed is his presence. There's always separation. Sin always separates. So they felt their nakedness, and they went, and the Bible says they went and hid themselves in the midst of the trees of the garden. To what? Hide themselves from the Lord their God, and hide themselves from one another, and they begin to pick fig leaves and make for themselves fig um, clothing. I told the church this morning, by divine inspiration, it was the first episode of Naked and Afraid. Just write that down. Amen, somebody. And so they had to cover themselves up. Amen. And so they're in sin, and God looks for them, searches them, searches for them, and he knows where they're at, but he says, where are you? Not because he didn't know where their location was, but because he's looking for their position. Why did you step out of your position? Right? And so what do they do? They, 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 they tell God what happened. And of course, God already knew. And a sacrifice, the first blood was spilt of an animal sacrifice to cover the sin and to cover up the nakedness of their body. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm just simply telling you the curse came in. And so all those that come into the earth come under the curse. And so bad things happen even to good people. So just because that happens doesn't mean God's not just. Doesn't mean God's not fair. We have to trust him. God is just. Because why? We have proof of it. Because he sent his only son to die on a cross. Not for his son's guilt, not for his guilt, but for our guilt. That's a God who's just. He's just. Amen. And it's a worthy sacrifice. Jesus became a worthy sacrifice. And by the way, it cost God everything. That was God's very best gift, and it was not cheap. It cost Jesus' life. And not just I'm not just talking about a gunshot to the head and it's over with. I'm talking about a brutal, agonizing death because that's how bad our sin was. In church, we were, we were worthy of eternal separation from God, but Jesus made it possible by paying our debt. He came to pay our debt. Without knowing this foundation, how can you properly build your life? If you don't hold on to that, you'll never able to build your life successfully in the kingdom of God. It just won't hold up for you. This is critical for us to understand in our lives. I want you to look at Isaiah 9. They'll put it up on the screen. And this is a picture of the Messiah to come. Hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, Isaiah prophesied of his coming. And here's what he said. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Again, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, and what else? Mighty God. Say it. Mighty God. So the Messiah who would be found in Jesus is not just another man, another prophet, another good person, another miracle worker or healer. 
He is God made manifest in the flesh. I can't get y'all happy about that. Come on, y'all. It's Pentecost Sunday. John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to Mount, the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, by the way, why were these men looking through people's windows? How are you going to catch her in the act of adultery? Think about that. We got people today always trying to catch somebody else other than themselves in a bad situation and then, then report it to the world. And when they had said in the midst, they said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that sh sh such, such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst uh, with him. And Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Church, I love this Jesus. I love this Jesus. She's caught in the act of adultery. They're trying to put the law on him, saying she deserves to be stoned. What do you say? They want to trip him up by saying he's going to say something contrary to the, word, to the, the written law. But what does he do? He gets down and takes his finger and begins to write in the sand or the dirt on the ground. And they one by one begin to leave the scene because he says, which one of you without sin? What does he write? I don't know. I can't prove it, but you can't disprove my theory either. I believe he was writing down the sins of the very ones that were standing up to accuse the woman. He was getting a word of knowledge and saying, oh, liar, thief, come on. Could be. Don't know what he wrote, but I just know they got convicted, the Bible says, dropped their rocks and had to leave, and Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? I'm not accusing you. I'm not accusing you. It's interesting to note that these religious leaders sought to expose Jesus by exploiting, exploiting this woman's sin. But instead, it only served to expose themselves and ultimately expose the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. So when the devil comes to expose your sin, agree with your adversary quickly. Say, that's right. I am. I have sinned. I did mess up. Lord, forgive me. And what happens when God exposes Jesus' mercy and forgiveness, come on, and his grace to cover your sin and to remove it. Jesus justifies this woman through forgiveness and mercy, not through the law, 
through forgiveness and mercy. Only someone who is just can justify. And God alone is just. And if God alone is just, then Jesus must be God. Justifies means this. It means to make it right. Jesus had the power to make it right. Justified. Just if I'd never sinned. Does this give us a license to sin? No, because he said, go and sin no more. He's saying you're forgiven, you're justified, but that's not your best life. Don't go down that road. There's hell and destruction. I forgive, I release, but don't continue in the sin. Think of that kind of justice. God's justice system is now met with mercy. It's met with grace and love, where before it was, it was met with a lot of justification. God's, God's Old Testament style, which means, judge, which means judgment, but not in Jesus' case. He came to set the record straight. Romans 3.23 is clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every person in this room, yours truly, every one of us, has sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Remember, sin separates. So if it separates, we need somebody to make it right, which means what? We need somebody to, to, that needs to justify the situation. Church, there is no hope in this world without Jesus. And, and John 3.16 John 3.16 is not a verse you just memorize and it's played, you see it sometimes in ball games. But get it in your spirit, down in your soul and spirit. Get a revelation for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, begotten of the Father, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. God justifies. You were perishing. Now I give you everlasting life for those who believe in him. There is no hope aside from him. God didn't just send an inadequate sacrifice for our atonement. He didn't send something to die for us or anything else to pay for the penalty of our crime. But he himself came as a son, as a man, to not punish us, but to be punished for us, to take on our punishment. In the Old Testament, the priest was sent he had to choose a perfect sacrifice, the lamb or the sheep, or the bullock, whatever God required in that, those different seasons. And they had to be perfect specimens. And then they would go and they would sacrifice them before the Lord. And when God was pleased because they were, it was a type and shadow of the ultimate sacrifice, which would be himself in human form on planet earth. And when he was pleased in the Old Testament, he would roll the sin over. For a year. So what he would do is say, I will forgive it for, t- for 12 months, but you've got to come back to me with another sacrifice, and then I'll forgive it for 12 months. In other words, you keep rolling it over, so you just keep adding to it. So if you, a- you had two, by the end of the next year, you had another one, that'd be three, then you had another one, be four, you just keep adding it up, okay? That'd be like going to the bank. You know, the bank can help you out for a little bit, but if you don't keep paying that loan down, what happens is you have more and more debt that occurs and more and more interest that, that accrues, Right? So you have to say, enough is enough. Well, once it got filled up, where God said, enough is enough, that's when he sent his son to not die to have our sin rolled over for another year or even for for 24 years. But they would be forever forgiven and removed from our lives, never to be brought up ever again. 
Who could be holy enough to atone for the sins of mankind? Just another priest? No, the forgiveness of sin once and for all could only come through himself. That was just in the eyes of God. It had to be him and him alone. All right, let's move ahead. Jesus established himself as a king, but he changes what an earthly king would look like. He doesn't come with piety, but in humility. It's through his humility that he becomes exalted king. So um, number two is this, the characteristic of God is this. Jesus reigns as exalted king. Jesus reigns as the exalted king. Acts chapter 2, verse 33, therefore, being exalted, speaking to Jesus, to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Jesus has been exalted to the right hand. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Come on, y'all. In the form of God, not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Somebody give God some praise. He's wonderful. He is the exalted king. So God comes to planet earth as a son. Why? To show us how to be children of God. He didn't consider Robert being with God, but instead he humbles himself. He knows who he is, but he humbles himself and becomes a bondservant and becomes like human, like any other ordinary man or woman on earth. And because of his obedience to go to the cross as a man, because you can't die for the sin of the world in heaven, it has to be done where the sin has been committed. Had to be in the earth realm. Had to be in the natural realm. Because he went to the cross, because he paid the price, because he was a faithful son, he is now exalted as king forever. And now he's king of kings and is Lord of Lords. And the Bible, the tr Jewish tradition is you cannot call anyone Lord but God and God alone. He is called the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord and he is the exalted king. Somebody say amen. Mark chapter 14, verse 61. But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, he's, at, he's, he's approaching the cross. And again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to deserving of death. You know, truth is difficult to handle. Not everybody loves truth. Some people want to kill the truth. People still get upset with Jesus today. 
Why? Because he brings absolutes. He brings irrefutable truth. Absolutes in a world of ambiguity. In other words, he brings light in darkness. I'm 51 years old. I'm not old yet. But I'm getting older. I've never seen anything like what I've seen today. Oh, I'm sure it's happened in times past. It's been recorded, but I'm talking about in America. Where there's so much ambiguity, you don't know up. People say it's up. They go, no, it's really down. Looks dark. I said, no, it's really light. Well, well, he's a male. No, he's really female. Well, they're white. No, they're really black. Y'all ain't going to amen me at all. Let me stand up here alone and go ahead and tell you the truth. I am sick and tired of seeing the devil run on our children to make them feel like they don't have real absolutes and answers in life. That's what happened when you spill, that's what happens when you spend decades of parenting and decades of a public school system that tells them they come from animals and there's no God whatsoever in life. Now we don't even know who we are or what we are. I'm not talking about homosexuality. That's a different subject for another time. I'm talking about people who say they're a woman when they've got all the male characteristics. You're not a woman. I'm talking about them telling us, putting in the men's bathrooms and putting in the feminine hygiene products in men's bathrooms. Why? We don't get a period. Well, you shouldn't say that. Who are you to judge? Only thousands of years of biology. That's all. That's screwed up, y'all. That is crazy. And we can't put up with that. I'm not talking about being political, but I'm talking about in the spirit. No wonder the enemy's got people turned up. Don't know what the truth is anymore. Jesus comes on the scene, and there's absolutes. He says, this is black, and this is white. This is light. This is dark. This is hot. This is cold. This is left. This is right. This is the truth, and that's a lie. Amen, church. Number three, Jesus lived a sinless life. That's how we know he's deity. He lived a sinless life because no man can do that. Hebrews 7.26, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Oh, 1 Peter 2.22, Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus being tempted in all points like unto men, yet without sin, the Bible says. That's another reason why I'm so, I love him so much is because he actually knows what I'm going through. He walked the planet. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my temptation. He had temptation. Y'all don't think of Jesus that way, but he was tempted. Yet without sin. The devil knows what you like. Read the three temptations. Those were his temptations. Right? And he did not succumb to any of them. 
Jesus is God because he was just, high, and exalted as Lord and because he was sinless and still is. Number four, Jesus is deity or God because Jesus was undefeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is victorious. Jesus, how do we know he's victorious? Because he's no longer in the grave. Come on, somebody. He got up. Woo! Jesus. He's alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. There is no God who can contend against him. He's the Lord of hosts, King of kings. Church, we should not underestimate the power of who Jesus is in relation to the Father. His name, the Bible says, is above all other names. Why don't you learn to speak his name as one who is the victorious one? I taught this on Thursday night a couple weeks back about the power of his name. You can go online and get that message. I talked about how that you can, you can use his name even in your dreams. I've, I've been afraid in my dreams like the monster's trying to get me or that demonic thing's trying to get me. And I got tired of running and turned around and said, in the name of Jesus, I'm rebuked it. And it went, ah, and it cowered, melted, and whatever it did. Even in my dreams. By the way, I talked about dreams on Thursday night. Prophetic dreams and how God gives you dreams and how he speaks through dreams. And that, that almost, it's like a, it, the dreams that are from God are more experiences. They're prophetic experiences. That's why you don't forget them. That's why they're technicolor. That's why it's like a door opens and, and I go into all, the, all that and you need to get that. And by the way, if you're not working a second shift, you need to be here on Thursday nights. This is your church. Can't get no help in the house tonight. I'm busy. How come everybody does their grocery shopping on Thursday night? Everybody got everything to do on Thursday night. Come on, y'all. It's church. I don't want to be alone. I prepare. I get ready. We pray. Our band is prepared. We pray. Our children, everybody, every, youth ministries, everything's prepared for you. You just got to come. More night. Uh, we're having more nights. Are we going to continue to have more nights or not? Are you sure? I want to get more people to come to more nights. So come, come. We said more night. We have a good crowd. But I want the whole, I'm looking for everybody to show up. I get that everybody's going to show up one time. But I mean, come on. We could do a whole lot better. Come on Thursday nights. Amen. Take the leadership, father or mother, whoever's in the household, and say, we're going to go. We're going to go as a family. We're going to get out there. We're going to worship the Lord. Have a good time. We're an hour and 15 minutes and you're out of here. But we do get impact in. So it's awesome. Number five, Jesus, you play me out, bro? Okay, all right. It's like, Pastor, that's about enough. That's about right there. It's all good. Stay right there. Stay right there. You're doing well. Number five, Jesus is supreme. He is supremely above all gods, all authorities, all religions, all kingdoms, all thoughts of higher consciousness, all governments, all creation. He is all, he, the Bible talks about him being supreme above all. Hebrews 1, 4, having become so much better than the angels 
as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Somebody say amen. And my last scripture, I got to read it. I almost wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it. John 8, you got to hear this. 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Now, they're talking to Jesus. These are the religious people. Religious people, that's what they are. They're religious. They don't understand truth. Religion and relationship are two different things. They're religious. They understand the law. That's what they know, but they don't have, they don't, they're looking at the Messiah and they don't know who he is. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets were dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet I love him, he's strong. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not even 50 years old, and, and, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Did that sound like a confused prophet? A confused healer? Confused miracle worker? He knew who he was. He knew that he was from the beginning. Alpha and Omega. That's one of his names. And Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. It was always in the plan of God for redemption. Should man ever choose to walk away from him, he could always redeem him back through his own son, which would be himself coming into the world as a child, walking amongst men, knowing who we were, feeling what we feel, being where we were, and saying, I will not sin. I will go to the cross sinless to pay the penalty of sin once and for all. Somebody say Amen. Let's give the Lord a shout of praise today.